What's happening, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome back. It's another Wednesday afternoon. We're here talking about the most unlikely best picture winner in years, a groundbreaking movie, and one of the most important movies of this generation. It's Parasite. See you guys in just one second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's action movie anatomy. I love this as a song. I also love that this song has started to become the song that intros like all the things we do now. Yep. yep. Do you think that in the movie trivia showdown, if the team action ever comes back, this is what would play in the live show? Or I do think you think so. it would be the classic? I, well, I kind of want like a mix of the family's music and who's the boss music or who's the man. Yeah. Uh, right? Is that what it's called? Oh, the man. The, oh, the man. Yeah. And then like mix that with. Yeah. And then, like, have those turn into Still Dre or something? Yeah. Now, that would be the best. And then it turns into a phoenix. And then... <laughs> uh, once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Let's do it. Great movie to know. You know, guys, what's going on? We're here on the Popcorn Talk Network. My name is Ben Bateman. That is Andrew Guy. We've got Ryan Nelson up in the booth, at least for a couple minutes. And uh, today we're talking about Parasite, Best yep. Picture winner, 2019 for films, re- 2020 for films released in 2019. Uh, an unlikely winner, a movie that we... I mean, we did see coming because we have a video on this very channel that was posted a week ago about why this is going to win Best Picture, but I don't even know if we totally believed it when we made the video. We are prophets, <laughs> modern day prophets. Well, I think what we, you know, you and I were sitting there, we're trying to think of like what we wanted to do for our short form content, and we were like, do we want to be talking about why a movie shouldn't win or do we want to talk about why a movie should win because we both loved Parasite but we also both would not have been surprised if it didn't win Best Picture I don't think anyone really would have been that surprised if it did not win Best Picture but we still decided to take the high road in my opinion and go for all the reasons we loved it and here we are, a week later, and we were right. <laughs> yeah, 2019 film directed by Bong Joon-ho. This is a movie by a director who is kind of redefining the way that American audiences see, I mean, absolutely redefining the way American audiences see Korean directors. That's, yeah. that's without a doubt. But I would 100%. even go as far as to say see uh, non-American English language films. Like, I think this movie has, has really redefined the paradigm of what you expect now to be honored at the Oscars. I mean, you notice that this year at the Oscars, the number of movies that were nominated with wins... Like, as opposed to, like, you can think about a lot of movies when we were growing up where... Oh, you mean, like, how much the wealth was kind of spread out? Yeah, back in the day when we were growing up, like, you'd have these years where the big movie of the year would win nine Oscars. Right, win, right. Like, everything. And, like, that was just not the case this year. Yeah, I think that's kind of a thing of old. I feel like that's, like, a model of old until a movie comes along. I mean, even a film like this, you know, Parasite, I think the score is absolutely incredible in this. Yeah. The cinematography is incredible in this. The editing, all those things could have been nominated as well, but I think... There's a side of, I mean, I actually don't even remember what all was nominated by Parasite. I just know what it won. Um, all of those things, I think, actually could have been nominated, uh, or Parasite could have been nominated for, but it just doesn't feel correct right. anymore because there's movies like, you know, in 1917, how do you just not give that cinematography? It doesn't even feel correct, right. you know, or, totally. or like even editing. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it, uh, unless a movie comes along that's like Return of the King where it's done something, I mean, Endgame feels like it would have been Return of the Kings exactly. type of thing, you know, where it would have gotten eight nominations. We're in, we're, we're in clearly like a different era, and there's, yeah. there's a lot of things I want to talk about today. I think Parasite, you know, we are going to do a full episode, obviously, on the movie Parasite. That's mm-hmm. what we're here to do, but I do think that there will be at least 30% of the conversation today that's going to be sort of surrounding the experience that we've had this last three months tracking the Oscars and, yeah. and the expectation of this movie and kind of some of the major, major points that happened over the course of the last couple months that have shown us why Parasite was able to do this thing, to win this award, and kind of, I, I think you just mentioned it. I mean, Endgame does feel like a movie 10 years ago that would have been received very differently. Yeah. Um, like, it feels like Downey would have been nominated. It feels like Evans would have been nominated, and maybe even Hemsworth, you know? Like, they would have given him, like, two supportings and a lead. There would have obviously been all the visual effects stuff. And then, I think, back in the day, it would have been up for Best Picture and Directors. You know, totally. And I think also, you know, we had a segment that we were going to record. We didn't actually get a chance to last week. And it was kind of about the Joker and how comic book movies have changed the Academy. And I think we we can maybe speak to that a little bit today as well, because it does just feel like there is so much about Parasite winning this award that 
we're as much doing it for the reason that it won the award as we're doing it because it's a great movie. I, you know, like we could have done it any time in the last yeah. three months. I think we're doing it specifically now for this reason. So without uh, further ado, I think I want to give a quick shout out to Joe Maltese and Kimberly Tucker. Those are brand new patrons of patreon.com slash team action. Welcome to the army. Welcome. Um, Big exciting stuff happening on our Patreon. We just recorded a brand new video. Uh, should be coming out. It was part of our stream, but we'll be releasing it as a separate piece of content this week. So you guys can see all the exciting new stuff. There's a ton of cool new levels there. Um, and one you know, very, very exciting announcement that uh, we'll probably save for our own stream. But if you tune in, you'll see something pretty special. Yeah, you know what I realized that, I, I, that we forgot to do? What? Was to make our announcement for our next big goal. Our Patreon video. I realize that also. Which is something that we have to talk about, but it's not, I don't want to take the time of AMA to talk about that. But there is a huge new goal that we have on our Patreon, so we'll talk about that later on, maybe on the next Patreon video, our next live stream. But it essentially involves a world tour. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. Action. <laughs> Action. <laughs> world tour. Worldwide. Um, so anyway, guys, thank Prestige, you for geez, all of your support <laughs> on the Patreon. If you want to follow along with what we're doing here, be sure to hit subscribe here on the Popcorn Talk Network. You can follow along with Andrew and Andrew Guy. You can follow me at Ben Bateman Media. At Action Industries is our brand. That's everywhere. And then at Team Action Show on Twitter is the other place. Um, I think we should just kind of get into the show. And, yeah. and traditionally, this show, Action Movie Anatomy, covers action movies that adhere to four basic rules. Now... Parasite's not really an action movie, but that's a little bit of the brilliance of the movie. It's like yep. a multi... People keep saying it seamlessly blends genres. Like, <laughs> yes, they do. They do continue to say that over and over as if it's never happened before. Uh, I think it's because the genres it blends are comedy and horror and thriller. Maybe and people are dumb and don't understand Korean movies, so they think it's like a unicorn. It's like, like this has never happened before. This has happened and, in American and they movies speak too. on social issues. How did this happen? Uh, it does do all of those things, um, but yeah, it's totally not a true action movie it's definitely not a movie that we would cover on our show by these original rules you know rule number one the hero always plays by their own rules it's like who the hell is the hero in this movie it, you, there isn't one it's not either family i don't think uh, i think you have to say that that you know the protagonists are the poor family and that the antagonists are the rich but honestly the parks the richer family are the nice like they don't do they're nicer they're i mean yeah on 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 the surface level at least seems that way the son the english teacher feels like he almost feels like the protagonist he feels yeah like, they he follow feels, him the most it feels like and he also feels the most like pure like he's the one that feels the least i guess evil sort of well it's interesting because i think that jessica is actually She's the unicorn in the movie, right? Like, even the family talks about her saying, like, you know, you just fit in here. And, like, how smart she is. She yeah. could have done anything. She should be a graphic designer. You could. There's so much, like, promise with her and, in, in, I guess, purity. She's also the only one that really feels guilty about what happens at the end. And spoiler alert, guys. We are going to spoil this, this movie. whole movie. Yeah. If you haven't seen this movie and you don't want to know the outcome, then you need to turn the episode off. Come back and watch it later because we definitely are going to ruin this movie. Um, yes. she And she's obviously, you know, the only... The only one of them that dies. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a it's a sad, sad moment. It really is. Death, yeah. yeah. So uh, rule number two: the hero and the villain are always the smartest people, beings, things, dinosaurs in the room. It's funny because the who are the heroes and who are the villains? They're right. the family are the smartest people in the room. Mm-hmm. I guess, but it's like both families are right because the the wealthy family has somehow applied their intelligence to translate through to being successful in business. Right. Whereas like. Well, you look at them exist, and you're like, these guys are kind of all idiots. Whereas you look at the, you know, the I, I can't remember the last name for some reason of the poor family because they changed their names so much. And sure. I don't know if they ever talk about it like the way that they talk about the parks. Um, but the the poorer family is that they're like the idea of they have so many skills, but they don't know how to apply them in the correct way. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So uh, rule number three: the movie is driven by police, military, political, or mercenary figure. Not the case here and movie no. contains a minimum of one explosion is the fourth rule so this doesn't really follow many of the rules um and i don't think it's really intended to yeah. we, we didn't look at this movie when it came out and said like oh this is definitely an action movie anatomy movie um the funniest part is you know we this week we have coming up on the show all the things you're come to know and love we have thesis mm-hmm. statement fist pump moment your you know our favorite line we're going to be talking about uh, other oscar upsets from the last three decades and kind of how they compare to this oscar upset um there's only been Probably something in the realm of six or so since we were born. Yeah, um, some like pretty pretty big ones that like people you know in, in hindsight they go back and they go, how on earth did Crash win? Yeah, you retrospectively know? there's like yeah I'd say six or seven and we're gonna kind of talk about each one and how they've held up. I also have an interesting game that I want to play that is inspired by that. I actually on Twitter the other day went and ranked the Oscar noms 
in terms of where I think they're going to stand in five years. Oh, okay. Um, they, you know, how, how based on these movies and the, the Austin awesome Noms from 2019. Yeah. Okay. The way I think that they're going to be perceived in five years, I went and re-ranked based on my opinion. I'd love to show you the list and see what you think because it's an interesting conversation, right? Like, take a movie like 1917, I guess, which is a great example, which was the front runner for most of the season. Mm-hmm. I think 1917 is incredible. I think it does amazing things. I think you will be hard-pressed to have anyone talking about that movie in five years, not because of the quality, but just because of Anyway, we'll get to it. Yeah, but I think yeah, that's, yeah. it's an interesting conversation to have. The so. Kims, the Kims, the Kims in the parks. Yeah, which is those are hilarious because they're such such Korean names. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yes, coming up today on the show, those are all the things we have going. You know, we thought up until uh, forty eight hours ago that we were covering Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on the show. I kept like having deja vu moments of being like, you know, I feel like I've d- talked, but I was like, ah, I'll, I'll look, I'll look, I'll make sure to check because all you have to do, literally do is go to Google and type in action movie anatomy and then the name of a movie. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, I didn't do it. The, here's the weird thing, though. <laughs> here's the tough thing about this. Um, so we had a party last Friday uh, that is a yearly party. Drew and I get to, to hang out and do and, and whatever. At the end of the night, we started watching um, clips from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes, we because did. I had just watched it again on an airplane, and my opinion of the movie had been totally changed. I found that the second time I watched it, I, like, adored the movie. And so Drew watched, like, four or five clips with me, and he was like, I'm convinced. I gotta I'm re- all I gotta, in. I got to rewatch this. Yeah. So he did. And the next day, we got on the phone for, like, 20 minutes and literally just were just laughing about the movie because it's... We were so excited. It's amazing. And so we were like, oh, this will be great. We can't wait to cover it. But the, the, the crappy thing is there's an episode of AMA that we did cover it, and neither of us liked it that much. I know. We liked it enough. Yeah. But, like, doing an episode about it now, I feel like we, that's... It almost feels justified because, like, I want to do an episode about that movie where we actually really liked it. Right, because we covered it and we were, like, trying to remember the things about it that we did enjoy, but we mostly picked apart the things about it that we don't enjoy, which is funny because you go back and you watch it again, and there's so many more things... Excuse me. There's so many of the things that I did not enjoy about it that I actually loved the second time, and it's because... And similarly with with Parasite, and we'll get to that, but with... With Once Upon a Time, I was expecting something completely different. And I wasn't able to let go of the idea of what I thought it was going to be. Right. And then the movie ended. And I was like, well, what the hell? I'm in the same boat. Would you agree with my contention that this movie, when viewed entirely as a comedy, is brilliant? But if you try to view it as something other than a comedy is when it gets confusing? Once Upon a Time is definitely a comedy. And that's all it should be looked at as a comedy with a a slight like love letter to all things that are Hollywood and old school Hollywood. and, and, And like... Yeah, and the performances are pretty incredible in that movie. It feels so much like I compare it to any of the other what if stories, to Tim and Glorious Bastards. I compare it to Django <coughs> Unchained, uh, any of his other movies, and they all feel like they're taking themselves pretty seriously, and they're funny because yeah. he's a funny. He's a funny writer. This movie, if if it's just a comedy and it has some moments that make <coughs> you feel, is perfect. And I would I will watch this movie more than any of the other nominees this year, guaranteed. Yeah, I think. I uh, I think I agree with that. I don't know. I, I think it'll be that in Parasite because I yeah. actually really enjoyed watching Parasite again. Um, but yeah, it would have been fun to talk once upon a time. I really wish that we could have. I wish that we could be drinking whiskey sours and yelling. Yeah, there's there is a video that we also put up on the Popcorn Talk Network this last week that was uh, it was top uh, Oscar bromances of all time. Yeah, and we don't include that one uh, until the very end. But there are five the five greatest Oscar movie bromances. Ever, you guys can go find that video on this channel as well. It's pretty fun. So Those are both great. Those are both really great videos. I'm we, looking I, forward I, to I was, more stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So, all right, let's talk about thesis statement. This is your biggest, boldest thought about the film. This is something happens. You look around. Are you seeing this right now? This is crazy. I, you're so excited to watch the movie. Uh, you, that's fist bump moment. Yes. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> thesis statement is your biggest, boldest thought about the film. It's uh, if you have a conversation about the movie and you're at a party, this is what you say about it. This is kind of your hot take, so to speak. The greatest, the first, the only, never, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'll hop in first with mine. And I think what I'm going to say is that Parasite should be the new kind of cornerstone in teaching filmmaking. There is nothing wrong with this movie. Like, legitimately, in my opinion, you go back and you watch this film. Maybe you don't love it. Maybe it's not your type of movie. But everything from the pacing to the way it's written to the five acts to the acting to the cinematography to the set design, every single thing about this is essentially perfect. Again, maybe it's not your cup of tea, but you can't deny that on, like, if you looked at this as an outline structurally, there'd be no holes to poke in it. I remember sitting there, the moment that the old housekeeper shows up, is it exactly half, exactly halfway through Mm. the movie. It's incredible. Like, it it was, I think, on on my 
uh, screen, it said one hour and three minutes of two hours and 11. That's when she showed up. And it's and even just looking at her showing up, she looks fucking crazy. She's got like a sore on her lip and her hair's all crazy. She and she sounds completely different. It, 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 it's a, it's an absolute testament to how much a director can do with an actor. You know, we saw what they did with us. Yeah. And you saw the two sides of, of every person. Every single person in this movie has two sides to them and they flip like a drop of a coin or a coin fl- it's insane and one of the best things about it is because you know the seamless genre blending um, right. it's, it, <laughs> it is uh there's all these these hallmarks of genres we've seen before like how many times in a horror movie are you like don't let them in what are you doing right right that's it that's, that's the moment that's the that is the moment you're looking at you're looking around and you're just like that if you let her in, something bad's going to happen. You can't do this. Everybody knows this, yes. right? How many times when they're sitting there and they're all drinking the whiskey and they're in the, you're like, the family's going to come home. Obviously, yep. there's zero chance the family doesn't come home. And they even joke about it. They're like, well, "What would you do right now if, if Mr. Park walked in the door?" Yeah, you know. And 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 I was sit, oh yeah, and I was waiting because you know that it's it's classic tension building. They're all having a good time, and, and it's like that short moment where it looks like he's mad at the wife, but you're like, something horrible is going to happen very very soon. And then it does, and it goes down this crazy rabbit hole. And, and just to finish my point is like, at the end of Sunshine, it feels unjustified. It feels like it goes off the rails and becomes this weird horror slasher thriller, like you know, cat and mouse movie. This movie goes to a turn in it where you're like, yeah, it's crazy, but it's totally believable. Just like in uh, uh, Don't Breathe, right? When they right. have that turn in the basement, you're like, yeah. basements. A lot of crazy shit happens in basements, apparently. <laughs> And this movie, right there on that turn, it halfway through, it, yeah, it's just perfect for me. Yeah. I, I think if you want to be a filmmaker, you got to watch this movie. Yeah, I would agree. So um, my thesis statement is probably a little more controversial. This is something that I, I asked a question in a tweet about this recently, and I, I got varied responses, but I believe that this is correct. Um, if this film had been made by any American filmmaker with actors that we recognized, this movie would not have been celebrated even close to the same level. Not because I think that the movie wouldn't have been as good, but I think that this movie and the celebration of this movie has so much to do with so many different factors adding up. Like it's kind of like when you talk about like an athlete being really successful or anything great happening in the world, like a movie really performing well, like any 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 show of greatness, when there's a lot of competition for that thing, to actually be the greatest, the best at something, a lot of things have to go in your favor. Yeah. So Parasite's obviously made by a brilliant director, right? You could you could compare Bong to Denis Villeneuve or Chris Nolan or Catherine Bigelow or I mean, there's a ton of directors who make really great movies consistently, but it's not just Bong. Mm-hmm. You have to cast the right actors. Those actors have to perform their their scenes very well. The the visual design of the film, the press behind the movie has to be such that it's just enough of an underdog that when people start talking about it, it's this unlikely yes. cool movie that you didn't hear about. Again, like if this is a movie that is made by David Fincher and it stars, I think in the tweet somebody responded and said if it starred Ansel Elgort and Christopher Plummer, people don't pay attention. If this movie stars a bunch of actors, specifically a bunch of white actors that we all recognize and we see a trailer for it, and it feels a little too obvious, mm-hmm. and the marketing campaign's a little too on the nose. No one sees it. Right. No it, one talks about it. It's original. It's an original film. If it's not based on something, those movies don't really get seen anymore. Yeah, it's it's really tough, right? Because I I think the other side of it is is you know, and we'll 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 talk about this a little bit more when we get to the the AMA question, but. There is this thing where people know that that Asian cinema is just a little different, right? Whether and, and I said this on our live stream, I'm I'm more familiar with Japanese horror movies and Korean dramas than I am with other uh, Asian filmmaking. Whether you know what other other countries they might be, and you know, like I've seen The Raid, but that's not fair to say that I understand yeah. those movies or that country's films. I think that there was something about that where people also were like, well, you know, there's going to be something kind of different about it, right? And in in if Fincher's making it, it's not that Fincher doesn't do things uniquely. I mean, he's definitely one of our favorite directors, he's, period. Really, he's a, I, he's I a would brilliant see filmmaker. it just because it's him. Right, same. I, I would, too. I would go see Parasite with those guys in it if Fincher directed it just because I love David Fincher. However, I don't think that you would have been like, there's going to be some crazy thing in it, right? There's always that like that golden nugget, whatever it is, in these films, whenever they come and break through to America, whether it's City of God or The Lives of Others or this movie or Old Boy, where you're like, there's that really special thing. Well, okay, so here's my, so this, is, this furthers my point, right? So the closest movie that we have to Parasite that has come out, an mm-hmm. American film in the last five years, without a doubt, 
is Get Out. It's the it is almost mm-hmm. the parallel in terms of it's kind of blending multiple genres. It's speaking on I mean if if racism in America is analogous to classism in Korea, mm-hmm. if that's what we're going to do and I don't know if it's a, f- a fair or equal comparison, but I know that they are both real things. Uh it's racism is a is a thing here in America that we talk about constantly. We don't really talk about classism here in America that often. Mm-hmm. It happens, but if somebody says to you, "Hey, this new movie just came out and it deals with racism really well." Your thought is I can think of 25 movies that do that really well. That's not reason enough for me to think that's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of great movies, right? right? But if somebody says to you, there's this Korean film and it's come out and it deals with this really interesting statement on class, you're kind of like, oh, that's a flavor of ice cream I'm not really familiar with. I don't, right. I don't really know Korean films that well. And classism in Korea, I wonder what that's like. Right. And and we don't talk movie? about classism a ton in America, but there's definitely classism. But we just kind of talk about it as just capitalism and like the wealthy versus the poor. We don't think of it as like this true break of class where like even in Parasite they they show the difference in class. I mean, with the flood, right? They right. they literally are walking downhill for the next five minutes of the movie, whether it's downstairs or down a hill or down a road. Like right. it's all down, 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 down. It's really interesting. And I just I just genuinely think that like in the way that Get Out, I think we both agreed was like the third best movie of the decade. Mm-hmm. I, I think that this movie has a similar effect where it's a very, very watchable movie dealing with a much more serious topic than the sort of horror almost that this movie goes into. And they do a really good job in this movie with making it approachable to Americans, even with the colleges that they talk about that we recognize. Even WhatsApp. WhatsApp is not the, the app of choice in Korea. It's like Kakao. It's, it's not. Okay. WhatsApp is more like America and Chinese, I believe. Um, so they do a lot of things that just make it, and I think in production notes they talk about it, it's like you can't make jokes about things that people don't understand. Right. right? If you're going to reference something, you have to at least make it reference like palatable for Americans. So they were they knew when they were making this movie that it they wanted to go big or else they would have just made everything strictly catered to the Korean audience. And they do a lot in this movie with with Konglish, which is something that like you'll hear Koreans talk about, which is essentially just Korean mixed with English. Oh, interesting. And you know, that's some of the best moments in the movie. It has very get out feels when she's like, you know, the wife is talking talking talking, she's like, "Okay, in, or like she said, what does she say to the son when she's like she's talking to him about how she's going to sit in on the very first uh, the first um, lesson with him yeah. and the daughter, and then at the very end of it, she's like, "Does that sound okay?" or something like that, and she goes and says it in English. Yeah, and there's, there's something about that as an American where you're just like, I like hearing that. Yeah, it, it just keeps me engaged enough. It's a pretty brilliant movie, and it's definitely a movie that. Um didn't get enough credit early on for well it did because people were calling it one of the best movies they'd ever seen it's just that's but again i think that's kind of my thesis is yeah the whole whole point is that all of these factors have to blend together to create an experience like this one and for it to gain the momentum that it did as it led into oscar season to actually Mm -hmm. get the nominations to win it had to have been by bong and it had to have been a korean movie because if it wasn't and if it would if this was the denis Villeneuve version that was done in america with Mm -hmm. actors we recognized it would have just sort of been at parity with, I think, the other four big nominees this year. And people would have convinced themselves that, I mean, how much different is this than 1917? I mean, how much better is this than Joker? They're each doing something unique or cool or different. And I think that this movie really gets to stand out because of all those factors. Yeah. Because it is not an American film. 100%. I couldn't agree more. And also, you, uh, there's something about us having to pay closer attention to movies with subtitles. Yeah. It's a real thing. Totally agree. So, um, all right, guys, we're going to continue moving through the show. We're going to talk star profiles a bit here. Um, we also are going to talk about Bong because I think he is kind of the name in this movie that most people are familiar with. Um, so, yeah, we have Kang Ho Song. Uh, he plays the father. Um, so Kang is also in The Host, I believe, is the is the earliest film of Bongs that he's in. Yeah, hey, I believe so. He's kind of the, uh, he's kind of his go-to guy. Like, uh, Chan Woon Park keeps using uh, Min Chik Soy, I believe is his, yeah. is his name. I always forget the way to say their names. Um, <clears throat> but... You know, this seems to be his guy. This is his Denzel to his Tony Scott. Sure. <laughs> um, so, the Drug King, a taxi driver, and the Age of, and the Age of Shadows are his most recent films. Uh, unsurprisingly, as I mentioned earlier, Americans are dumb and don't understand Korean films. I am a dumb American who doesn't understand <laughs> Korean films, so these are not movies that I am particularly familiar with. I haven't seen them. I haven't seen them either. You know, it, it, unfortunately, even though I am Korean and I love Korean dramas and, and Korean cinema, I don't. I, I spend most of my time watching American movies, also just because of the showdown. Yeah. Also, I I should clarify, guys. I'm making jokes. I am just saying personally that I have not yeah. seen these movies, and I know that you know foreign films, films with subtitles, I am w- certainly willing to watch. They don't catch my attention as often, so mm-hmm. that's, that's the biggest thing. Um, yeah, Sun Kyun Lee, her l- most recent films are Joe Pilho, Doraemon, Nobita's Chronicle of the Moon Exploration, and Take Point. Is that the daughter or the wife? Is that the daughter? Oh, I have it pulled up here. Okay. I can check. Um, 
Also, we got to do our fist pump moment, man. Oh, did I skip fist pump moments? I get it. You're excited. I'm hyped, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sun Kyung Lee is the uh, is the uh, is the dad, or I mean, is the excuse me, is the son. Is the son? Is the son? So it's oh. dad and son. Okay, that, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I was that does thinking make it was. Sense. I was thinking it was the daughter for some reason, but she's um, so good. Yeah, she's she's fantastic. We'll get to Bong in just a second here. So let's talk fist pump moment. This is the thing I was trying to say earlier on the show. Something happens. You kind of look around. Have you seeing this right now? This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I'm so hyped. I get to watch the rest of this movie. Um, there's a lot in this movie. Yeah, I, I think probably, I think probably for me, the fist pump moment is so the old housekeeper comes in. Mm-hmm. She gets downstairs. They chase her downstairs, and then you see the husband. Oh, yeah. And you're like, you're like, oh, my God. This is getting this is getting so twisted. And then it all starts to make sense, because you already can tell something's off with the housekeeper. So, yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, like, even just before she gets down there and she's up, like, on the wall, like, pushing, you're like, I don't feel comfortable. And she falls and, like, hits the thing and hits the ground, and you're like, what's happening? It's so, the whole yeah. thing is just kind of gross. And she gets down there, and he looks kind of crazy. Yeah. And, uh, and you have this moment of, like, because that's the thing that they do so well in the first act of this movie is when the heist movie is taking place and they're infiltrating the house, mm-hmm. they, they talk about the housekeeper. Like, she's almost <laughs> the ultimate test. She's, she's, the, she's the final boss. She's the end yeah. boss. She's, <laughs> she had survived, you know, two regimes of the household. She's so particular. She seems, she seems high class, right? And she doesn't do anything wrong. Nothing wrong. Yeah, she seems high class. I like that, yeah. that sentence as well. You know, and that's, I think, one of the things about the movie that I like so much is... Like, I talked to somebody afterwards about who the hero of the movie was, and mm-hmm. I can't remember who it was, but I said, like, well, you know, what they did wrong, and I think, oh, because they said, you know, until the crazy stuff happens with, like, the murder and whatnot, you know, they, what they had done was not that wrong. I was like, God, they all lied about who they were to get jobs, and yeah. the person was like, everybody lies about who they are to get jobs. That's right. Like, people lie on their resume all the time to get hired somewhere. And but the thing is, you forget that because they become so friendly with the family. They they seem like it's, they're friends. It's with a the family. seamless blending of families. <laughs> yeah, no, it it totally is. Uh, and then, or, sorry, I didn't want to cut you off. But. No, I just it's it's interesting when the movie takes the turn to like physical violence and like you know they know they can be caught all these things. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's crazy because you do realize that like if they had just never let the housekeeper in, they'd be fine. And, yeah. and the son even says he goes, "This wasn't in the plan. This yeah. isn't in the plan." You know, uh, yeah, she is. She is the reason everything falls apart. God, that husband is so creepy. Good, yeah. they cast him perfectly. Like when his head pops up the stairs to scare the kid, just with the eyes, like that's horrifying. Yeah, that's a, that could be a horror movie. Shot. Agreed. Easy, easy. Uh, my fistball moment. So I had, I had two, and the first one I realized I had both times, and it was. It happens really early on in the movie, and it's after the son is leaving after his very first lesson, and Mrs. Mrs. Park is, she's like, anyway, so, you know, it's been really tough. We've had to go through a lot of art teachers, and as soon as she said that, I was like, oh, my God, this is it. This is how they do it. Yeah. He's going to bring in his sister as the art teacher, and then, they, and so that was, like, the first thing, and I, I was like, yes, this is so, it's just subtle and brilliant, but then I realized yesterday when I watched it again, that montage in the middle might be the greatest montage in film history. Which the one? cutting between... Uh, it's when they're getting the, the lady fired, when they're actually getting the housekeeper fired. Oh, okay, with cutting yeah, yeah. of the peach and going to the hospital and taking the picture. And, you know, it cuts from her in the house to talking to the brother to the, you know, the daughter scraping or coming to bring the peaches to her to the dad. And it ends with the dad and the trash can and the climax of the movie, the crescendo of the music and the blood on the napkin and like the wife, like she doesn't faint, but she just closes her eyes and it's just, she just can't believe it. Right. It's so perfect. Like I I watched it three times last night because it it just is like, again, like I talked about with my, my thesis, like it's just a beautiful, incredible montage. And that's the moment you realize they fully infiltrated the house. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing too, that when you're watching, because I think that a lot of people, and I, we're not really... Oh, and in that scene, they have the dad rehearsing with the son. Yeah. The lines and the acting and the directing. Cut, cut, you're oh, up he here. You need to, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a little cherry on top. One of the coolest things about it is like, you know, we're guilty of this also, but I definitely think that most most people that watch, again, we always say this, to somebody who sees like, you know, 20 movies a year, so so maybe less, right. when they watch a movie, even if it's supposed to be a great movie, they're not really paying attention to those things. And the point of montages is that you're not supposed to hold on like a long shot where you're captivated by swelling music. Mm-hmm. Montages are almost supposed to be innocuous. You're supposed to sort of be watching them and not realize they're happening because 
storytelling, it's it's that important piece of storytelling that, that ties together a whole sequence of plot. Yeah, and the great thing about montages, too, is you get to feel smart as the viewer being like, and putting this together, putting this together. Yeah, this has to happen. This is the right, you know, like it makes you feel like you're a part of the film for a moment. Totally, totally, man. So um, anyway, guys, those are our fist pump moments. Share yours in the in the chat if you want to let us know moments that uh, stood out to you. I'm going to let you uh, jump in here. Oh, actually, you know what? Before we do jump into uh, production development, I do want to just give a quick shout out to everybody here. So uh, Drew and I do this show now on Sunday nights. Yeah. It's called the Action Guys. Um, this is a it's a two hour streaming show that we do every single Sunday. It's usually from five thirty to seven thirty. The last couple of weeks, the Oscars and Super Bowl kind of Push messed up back. our planning. Uh-huh. But generally speaking, it's going to be Sundays on the Action Industries YouTube channel. That's our personal channel that we've been building. We do first thoughts movie reviews there. You'll, you'll be able to find my review of Sonic there tonight. Um, I think we're going to try to start doing news stories there as well, like entertainment news stories. Just like a quick blurb of what you guys should know about what's happening today and what happened maybe yesterday. Yeah, we're news. working on that. So go check out the channel. But tune in every single Sunday. Um, this Sunday night, we're excited. We have a great show for you. Um, Action Industries YouTube. So thanks everybody for uh, for that quick plug. Yeah, we're up mean. at. Uh, we're, I think we're about to hit thirty two, which is great. Like yeah, thirty two hundred subscribers. subscribers. We're doing well. Yeah, it's a nice, nice, nice slow burn yeah, for the Action Industries burn. page, but we're proud of it. I think it's the channel's doing well. So yeah, thanks for uh, you know hear, hearing me out. Yeah, so uh, we'll finish up here with Bong Joon-ho. Uh, most recently did Okja in 2017, Snowpiercer in 2013, and Mother in 2009. Uh, Snowpiercer is a movie that a lot of people really love. Um, I need to watch it again. It was one of those movies where I tried to like turn it on in the background while I was playing it on my phone. didn't work out. And yeah. I realized when it ended, I was like, I have no idea what happened in that movie. Do you think that your film experience has been greatly impacted since Clash Royale? Do you think it's like been a... Yeah, in a negative way. In a, 100%. You, because you like, I have a hard time with it to stay off of it for the whole time? I t- Tell my well as of or lately I haven't because like I go through phases with it and it's like been the off season for so long but I I just think that I'm paying more attention than I am yeah I think that I'm really getting it and then I'll like when the movie's over and I think about stuff or I'll go I, what I've done re- recently is I'll go back and I'll I'll read the synopsis and I'm just like you miss so much yeah. this is not okay so I haven't I haven't been I've been putting my phone away or at least not playing any games lately while watching movies. Because I play, I play quite a bit of Clash also. Mm-hmm. I hate it, but I still play a lot of it. <laughs> Same. And I, I had to stop. Uh, for a little while, I was trying to do the movie thing, and I I would get too frustrated because I constantly I would just pause the movie. Right, to play. And then I would realize that I was pausing the movie like 13 times during the movie, and I was like, what am I doing this for? Because mm-hmm. I just can't do it. I Like, it doesn't compute. I, I like, am a millisecond worse at the game because I'm trying to watch And that's the all movie. that matters for you to be bad. Yeah. Or for you to lose the game, and it makes you furious. Yeah, but so speaking of Bong on your subject of Snowpiercer, I watched the first 30 the other night. Um, I remember the first 30, but I don't remember much else. Yeah, I didn't get to finish it. I'll probably finish watching it this week. Were Um, you engaged? Yeah, I liked it. It's the, the tone's a little weird, yeah. but it's but I like it. I mean, it's got a ton of huge actors in it. Mm-hmm. So apparently, I had a conversation with a friend of the show, Alex Kessler, the other day about this because we were talking about Parasite, and he thinks it's far and away the best movie of the year. And we were talking about Bong, good. and he was saying that about Snowpiercer, Snowpiercer is supposed to have been Bong's big American like that was supposed to be the movie because right. he has all these guys in it. He's got Captain America and he's got Viola Davis mm-hmm. or not Viola Davis. Um, sorry, Octavia Spencer. Mm-hmm. Um, they were both in The Help, and I've been since The Help. I've oh, been screwed. Yeah, yeah. I always say the wrong person because when I think about Viola Davis. I was just talking about how much I think Cynthia and Vero. Arrivo, yeah. Arrivo, I still can't even say her name, so it doesn't matter because it just happens. Yeah. With some people where you just either get a mixed up or you're just an idiot. I have like this thing in my mind where I cannot remember her name even though I loved her performance so much. Yeah, I'm a big fan of them both. But <laughs> Octavia Spencer and Chris Evans and John Hurt and, uh, and Jamie Bell and, it's, yeah. it's, and Tilda Swinton. I mean, it's got like this big cast of like, huge Oscar-winning actors and supposedly that it was released in 2014 in the summer in the U.S. It's 2013 in Korea, but mm. 2014 here. And I guess something to do with Weinstein and Miramax, it got buried. Yes. And it didn't get promoted. It was only available because Alex was saying, he was like, dude, this was supposed to be. I, to, I, I actually read an article on this the other day, but I can't remember exactly the details. But it was essentially like why Harvey Weinstein screwed Snowpiercer and made Bong Joon-ho have to wait this much longer to break through. And I don't know. And he was saying like, he was like, I remember in 2014, because um, I was like, no, it's 2013. He's like, whatever your app says is wrong. It mm-hmm. was the week after Winter Soldier. I'm sure of it. I went with Jimmy Wong. I know who it was. We went to see the movie in 2014. I looked up the 2014 is the US release. Right. And he was like, and it was only available in two theaters in, in, in Los Angeles. You could see Snowpiercer. it. Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer in two theaters. With those stars in it. That's crazy. 2014. That's the same year Winter Soldier came out. Yeah. Like, 
Kirsten Evans a household name at that point. And it came out after Winter Soldier came out. So it doesn't... Wow, that's Avengers crazy to me. Avengers was two years earlier. Uh, I do have to say, we did miss a super chat earlier from Paul Denuzio. Uh, thank you so much, PLD, for your donation. But a big time happy birthday to General Kelsey Kirkland. Yeah, yeah Kelsey Kins. You, Kelsey. Kelsey Kins. Yeah, one big of our time favorites. Happy birthday to Kelsey. Yeah, that's... Uh, we're getting older, Kelsey. We're getting older. Uh, so, in production development, let's uh, let's you know move through this relatively quickly. But there's some really interesting stuff about this. As, as most people know, the Parks House and the Kim's apartment were both completely built by Bong Joon Ho and their set designer. Uh, their uh, production design was Lee Han Jun, Lee Ha Jun, and. Um, this is a really cool thing that Brandon Hanna pulled for us. Uh, I'm just going to read it off the page. I thought it was really interesting. The production designer said that the sun was an important factor with building the outdoor set. The sun's direction was a crucial point of consideration while we were searching for outdoor lots, Lee explained. We have to remember that the sun's position during our desired time frame and determine the positions and sizes of the windows accordingly. In terms of practical lighting... The director of photography had specific requests regarding color. He wanted sophisticated indirect lighting and the warmth from tungsten light sources. Before building the set, the DP and I visited the lot several times to check the sun's movement. And each time we decided on the sun's uh, on the set's location together. It's like that attention detail. I don't know how many times I've read in production development about them scouting out a place and looking at the way the sun moved on it. Like if you pay that much attention to because a lot of times they just build them on sound stages yeah. where they can just control the sun. And, and the idea that they took that much care in building these two sets, um, again, it's like the attention to detail that really, really separates this. And I think that alone kind of shows you. I mean, because obviously, if we want to talk about the house, the house is fucking immaculate. It's it gorgeous. is beautiful, gorgeous, perfect. Like, you think that there isn't, like, everyone talks about in, in L.A., like Frank Gehry. Frank Gehry, I think is his name, G-E-H-R-Y, is okay. like being like one of the most famous architects. Yeah. Like, you look at that house, you're like, yep, the most famous architect in Korea would probably build that house. Yeah. Like, it looks like that. Um and then alternatively, their apartment is perfectly disgusting. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's hilariously disgusting. Yeah. We're getting, you know, always getting peed on. Um, <clears throat> the next thing that, that, that we have in here is, you know, the title meaning, which Parasite people thought uh, producers thought it was too on the nose. You know, they thought it was like, well, obviously it's this, you know, the Kims infiltrating the parks, the poor infiltrating the rich. But what they wanted actually, you know, it's a double, it's a double meaning, you know, because it's about the poor or the rich parasite or leeching off the poor they don't they can't do their own dishes they can't clean their own house they only can exist by making the poor work for them so it's it's a cool double meaning there and i think that's how they were able to win them over um yeah some of the stuff in here that they talked about i mentioned earlier about whatsapp and uh you know the colleges um you know talking about the uk as opposed to like bigger you know countries in korea <clears throat> I mean, bigger cities in Korea. And then also the Ramdan was really interesting because I remember they, they kept talking about this Ramdan. I was like, that's not a real thing. I don't know yeah. what the hell that is. But it's essentially like ramen and udon, which they know that Americans know about. Yeah, right, kind of like combining right, right. one dish. So they're like, if we say this, then they'll probably be able to figure and it out. And it's like sirloin Ramdan. Yeah, it's no, all it's, like it looks so good. Delicious. It's, it's really a, all it is is a blend of like spicy ramen and then like um, this thing called uh, jajangmyeon, which yeah. is like black bean noodles. Okay, so, yeah. Yeah, it looked bomb. And looked, steak. Yeah, and steak. Of course, uh, you know you already talked about um, you know Bong and his kind of his his coming up here in America. It does feel like he is he's just gonna be, he just is the most famous Asian director in America now, yeah, right? Like well, it just feels like it has to be him. So now the question is, and I think this is probably a good time to do it. I can pull up these. The, yeah, this, this yeah. Ranking. Let's do I think that. it's an interesting conversation. Is like so. Okay, Parasite just blew blew the Academy Awards away. Everybody freaked out. It did crazy things no one expected, right? And I think we can all agree there's going to be attention on Bong's next movie. People yeah. will pay attention. Yeah, it's kind of the, you know, heavy lies the crown. So what if Bong is to come out with his next movie and it doesn't do that well? Let's just pretend it kind of is weird. It flops. People don't like it. Then he waits another three years. Do you think that the paradigm is shifting enough that there'll be another director, another foreign director to come in and make a foreign language film that blows people away? Or do you think this is one of those things where, because a lot of people I know still haven't seen Parasite. Uh, yes. I think that someone could just easily come in and replace him and he'd be forgotten about because uh, exactly what we're talking about. He's a Korean yeah. filmmaker that'll probably still make Korean films and he will 
hopefully not, but he may struggle to find the the next like great American project. And like you said, if it's not good, we have a very fickle audience here, and we people do. I think will forget and uh, be happy to replace him. Yeah, um, you know, it's if you think about how much people talk about Inaritu and Quaron and and Del Toro. They go very hot and cold with those directors. Yeah. It's like they do their thing and everyone's there to cheer them on and then they're gone. Yeah. And t- right, if the movie's not good, it's like a, it's, it doesn't have a, the right actor, it's not in English, it has a subject people don't want to pay attention to, it's not a war movie or something. Mm-hmm. You know. So my my ranking and and this is I'll show it to you here is I still believe in 5 years Parasite will be revered as the best movie of the year. I still think that in 5 years people will look back on this year and none of these other movies will have made enough of an impact that people are going to feel differently. Mm-hmm. After that, in fact, I will start from the back because I think that's more interesting. I do think Parasite's number one. Starting at ninth. Yeah, in the sense of saying this will be the in, highest revered in ten years from now. Five years. Uh, or five years. Okay. In five years when we're talking about the 2019 class of films. Is Ryan is Ryan in the booth still? Uh, it's J-Lo. What's up, J-Lo? How you doing, J-Lo? Hey, guys. What's happened? Did you see Parasite? She hasn't, so we've spoiled everything. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um... So uh, so number nine is Ford v. Ferrari. That's the movie that in five years is going to seem like the least significant movie of the whole group. Wait, were you going to ask something? Oh, you were going to ask if you'd see Just, it because someone that had seen the movie. Question. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. All right. Um, we love you, J-Lo. Yeah, we love you, j <laughs> And the reason I say that is because I think as great as Ford Ferrari is, and I love it, mm-hmm. there's nothing about that movie that will stand out any more than it did this year. It's only going to get worse by the year. The only thing that would have stood out from that movie would have been an insane bail performance. And it is an insane bail performance, but he's being a normal guy in it. Yeah, so and, that's why it's forgettable. And it's one of 12 insane bail performances. Exactly. Uh, number eight, Marriage Story. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, you know, the movies like, let's I always compare it to like Blue Valentine, but there's these movies that come and they make a huge hit yeah. on you because you know they're incredibly well acted, shot, directed, written, and all that. But at the end of the day, they're just kind of, they just aren't super fun to watch. And there's nothing that wows you in this other than just like a couple great scenes. Which is, to me, why I do think it'll stay relevant more yeah. so than Ford Ferrari because it's a Netflix movie and it'll stay on Netflix. But and it's relatable. Yeah. A lot more relatable than I've never drove in a car 240 miles an hour. Yeah. Number seven, The Irishman. <sighs> this, it, is, this might sound a little fucked up to say, but is it because, like, probably we're going to lose one of four of them in the next decade? And so you go back, you're like, this is the last time they were all together. Is that it? I mean, it's number seven, so it's it's well, still right. pretty low. I think that this movie, is as time passes, I think people are going to think about this movie as just not that good. Like, I think this movie is going to feel like the Hateful Eight to most people. It'll be loved by some, but hated by others. Too long. That's fair. It'll live on Netflix. I don't even think people are going to... Like, if we do lose one of the, pr- the principal people involved, I think it'll kind of matter, but like... I don't. I just don't think that this movie was good enough. Again, it's Same. higher than Ford Ferrari because it's on Netflix, so it'll stay on Netflix. Well, and I also think that in five years from now, you're going to look back at the CG and it's going to look god awful. It already, it already. Looks bad. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is it looks terrible now. So imagine five years from now when it's like deep fakes are going to become like a real problem. Like that looked horrible. Yeah. Um, also, one more thing, Jake Yakovin with a five dollars super chat. Happy birthday, Kelsey. Also, happy birthday, Action General Cody Seal. Wow, we got a double double HBD Cody Seal <laughs> HBD PLD. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so big, big happy birthday to Kelsey and, of course, Cody Seal. General, appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys so much. Number uh, six. Number six, I have Little Women. And the reason being, the Little Women, I said, I this one I had to move around a little bit. Uh, this was an Alex Kessler thing when I had a conversation with him about this. Alex has very strong movie opinions. Yeah. In a, good, in a great way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Very well refined. Uh, he said to me, think about the Little Women that came out when we were kids and how formative of an experience that was for teenage girls when that movie came out and how mm-hmm. important it seems to so many people that grew up watching it, now, 25 years later, to you and me, I don't, and maybe it was in your household, Little Woman didn't matter a lot to me. It wasn't a movie that I was super aware of. I watched it once with my sisters, but I honestly didn't feel like they even really liked it that much for some reason. But when this new one got announced, everybody was like, it felt like they were rebooting a big franchise or something. Everybody was so excited. Oh, Greta Gerwig's doing Little Women. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie was really good, and it has a lot of very, very big actresses. Actresses like Florence Pugh is going to go on to do great things. Emma Sharon will too. Huge. Saoirse is yeah. going to win an Oscar. Meryl Streep's in this movie. Greta's like the hottest female director. Isn't right Laura now. Dern in it also? Uh, or is she not? She's not. Is she not? Oh, who am I thinking so of? Meryl Streep's in there. The hmm. three sisters, the three older sisters, but so I have Little Women at six. Okay, five. I've got nineteen seventeen, and that one might even be too high because as much as I love it and as great as it is, it doesn't have a star like in the starring part. It has actors that people are not too familiar with, 
and it's a war it's a world war one movie which is pretty tough for a lot of people to get into anyway mm-hmm. and the big hype behind this movie kind of needed to happen it needed to win best picture to stay significant yeah i mean it when it sent like it, it won what it was supposed to um and you know a lot of people can argue that it should have won best picture i think it will be really tough for it to stay super super relevant because again it's like a down the middle war movie with incredible incredible cinematography and, and really great acting but you know, people like hating on Nazis, and there's no Nazis in it. You know, people like World War Two over World War One because it's been more grand. Like in our right. in our memory, it's like World War Two is the exciting war to watch movies on. You and know, how much do people talk about the Thin Red Line anymore? And that movie was like a groundbreaking, Never. beautiful, incredible war movie from its time. Yep. You know, twenty two years later, like oh, she is in Little Women. Laura Dern. Yeah. Oh man, I must, I must just be forgetting who she Marmy is. March. Marmy March or something. I don't know. Huh. I just remember seeing something. Schmodown, Ben. Yeah, you must no. be right. I guess I just <laughs> forgot. Uh, number four, Jojo Rabbit. Okay. God, so, so it's a bummer because I haven't seen Jojo or Little Women still, so I can't really speak on it. Jojo's great. The thing about Jojo is it feels a lot like Tenenbaums. It feels, mm-hmm. to me, that feels like that's going to be the Taika movie from his run. That's going to be like, the, it's going to be like the Taika movie, even though like Ragnarok and Thor Love and Thunder are going to be bigger movies. Jojo's like that movie that if you saw it at the right moment in your life, you're gonna feel like it's one of those forever movies. That yeah, you, like the pulp fictions of the world. Sort I mean, of. people love it. I, I still cannot wait to see it. And I think after award season has come and gone now, uh, I don't have to worry about coming into it overhyped. Yeah, you know. Number three, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think yeah. it's way more relevant than I realized it was going to be at the time. I think people love Tarantino, and this just is the iconic late career performance of these guys. I think this movie is going to play so well on rewatch for people. It does. I, I can I can tell you from firsthand experience for someone that did not enjoy that movie on rewatch, I was dying. I was dying laughing so much so that I had to call you to just laugh yeah. and say Spanish, Spanish, <laughs> Spanish, Spanish. <laughs> like the whole thing is so good, and it's also like Brad Pitt will always be Brad Pitt, and Leonardo DiCaprio will always be Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio. Even twenty years from now, when you talk about those guys, they'll be like the Newmans and the Nicholsons. Like that's how people will talk about these guys. And you go, well, what was the movie? Oh, they were in this movie together by Tarantino, and Brad Pitt won an Oscar, and Leo was nominated. Like, well, holy shit, I have to watch it. There's this thing that always happens when you look up great actors, like you're talking about. You look up their IMDb, and it says, and like guys that have fifty year careers, and it's what they're known for. And the thing that shows up. In the time that they were super famous way back when, people would probably be like, how could they ever, how could Duval ever not be known for the great Santini? You know, it's like, how could Jack Nicholson ever not be known for Five Easy Pieces? Right. You know, like these movies where it's like they were so big at the time. But what it really comes down to is that you have to hit the cultural zeitgeist of so many things. And it does feel like this is going to be one of the movies, one of the big three or four movies that both of these guys will be forever remembered for. Well, and I think the other thing that's really interesting about it is you and I were talking about Tarantino's filmography and... Honestly, there's there's the Tarantino of old, yep. which is like, you know, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction are probably the two biggest ones that yep. people really, really hold on to from the 90s. But then you go into the 2000s, it's like, well, yeah, but he did Inglorious Bastards and he did Django, which Kill a lot Bill, of people really yeah. love. And then, of course, Kill Bill. We were talking, it's like, well, I love Kill Bill more than you. Yeah. So I'll go back and watch Kill Bill any day of the week. I really, if it's on TV, I'll watch Kill Bill. But... I don't want to sit down and commit to Inglorious because, it, again, with the subtitles in that movie, it's not one I can just have on in the background and truly enjoy because that movie is phenomenal. It's really good, yeah. But it's not quite as fun on rewatch because, uh, honestly, I don't speak German. That, yeah. that really is it. And, and, like, if I want to just have a movie on in the background, Inglorious probably isn't it. Django, it's hit and miss for me. I like yeah. parts of it. I don't like other parts of it. It really is, like, Pulp, Reservoir, and... Kill Bill for me, but not for you, and then probably this movie. I think there's a decent argument that this is his most rewatchable movie. It's possible. It's possible that Pulp Fiction is more rewatchable because it feels so iconic. I think, yeah, for me, it goes probably Pulp, Kill, and then and then then, then I think this. Which is why, for me, it comes in at number three. Number two, I have Joker. And I have Joker because, not because I think Joker is better than, like, the four movies behind it. I actually think Joker, like, in the end is really good, but it's more just, like, polarizing, but you think about how iconic the character of the Joker is, how big of a deal it is that he won the Oscar for the same role that, that Heath had played, and also just the fact that like it's a comic book movie. Yeah. Like this is a dignified comic book movie where like comic book fans and nerds forever are gonna get to be like, he wasn't supporting. He won Best Actor in a movie without Batman. It was R-rated. It got nominated for 11 Oscars. It completely changed the landscape going forward of what we expect an Oscar movie to even be. And then the source material that things were pulled from were like not things that we, the general public knew about. Like when I went and did the the segments that I did on Joker, I had to read about these comics that were mentioned like in The Killing Joke and things like that. 
I don't know what the hell the killing joke is if you're not a comic book fan, yeah, you know? And totally. so it, it's interesting. I, I almost disagree with you in the sense of it being, I think it will be lower, uh, but I don't really want it to be. You yeah. Know? I, just, I, I don't know. It's just, to me, it feels like the power of the comic book movie and the power of the Joker. It's also a billion dollar rated movie. It's like, a billion dollar rated movie. And it's Joaquin finally getting his Oscar, you know? Yeah, that's why to me, it seemed like that was going to stand the test of time. And then the number one movie is Parasite, just because for all the reasons we said, it feels like it's groundbreaking in different ways. So those, yeah. those were my opinions. Any, any major disagreements on the list? No, I think, I think... I, I really like the list. I do feel that you might have put Joker too high, even though I don't, like I said, I don't really want it to be lower than that. Otherwise, I think it's great. I, I really think everything on here is pretty solid. Uh, Marriage Story might be higher than Irishman, but it seems impossible because of the names in the Irishman right. and who did it. Uh, and then Once Upon a Time, maybe it's maybe it goes Parasite once and then Joker, Joker or maybe it goes once Parasite. Joker Parasite. Could be. Honestly, who once knows? Once Upon a Time may... It, there's a there's the a very strong argument just based on the star power involved and the fact that it's a Tarantino movie. Once upon a time, laps the rest of the movies on those list in five years. Well, because think about it, think about it in five years, think about it in twenty years. It's like in twenty years from now, Leo will probably have another Oscar. Uh, Brad probably won't for acting, but definitely will for producing. Margot will probably have an Oscar, and Tarantino will probably have another Oscar. So you go back and you look, and you're like, well, holy shit, Margot Robbie, Quentin Tarantino, Brad Pitt, and Leonardo DiCaprio were all in this one movie. Totally. So that was my long-winded segment there, guys. Let us know if you agree or disagree. Um, uh, we are going to get to Critical Box Office real quickly here. Yeah, so this is uh, produced by Neon. It was, <laughs> oh, this is why you're just like, this guy has to make more movies. It cost him $11 million to make this movie, and he created those sets. Like, he did that. So $11 million, uh, which also is now, this this box office is not going to do justice because it's about to be open in 2,000 more theaters here in America. Oh, really? Yeah, it's getting wow. a big re-release. So uh, it was released in October here, uh, or, uh, excuse me, October originally, and November for its wide release, November 8th. It grossed $36 million domestically, which I'm assuming is in America, and then $129 million world or foreign for a grand total of $165 million, but I would be very curious to revisit this conversation, or even you can go check out Brandon Hanna on Box Office uh, Breakdown when it is yeah. released and see how much Parasite does actually end up making. JLo, when does Box Office Breakdown air? While you're figuring... Oh. Perfect. Thank you. Sundays at 5 p.m. when Parasite does get released. Go check that out because it'll be it'll be a really interesting conversation. It's got an 8.6 on IMDb, which puts it at the number 21 movie of all time. Honestly, a little surprised it's that low with the recency bias. We all see how it's yeah. like Dark Knight comes out. It's number one. You right, know, it's like right, things right, like right. that. So it's got a 99% on the tomato meter and a 92% by the audience. So, yeah, that yeah. sounds about right for best picture. Um, I will say my favorite line of this movie is the is the thank 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 you thank something for the bounteous Wi-Fi. For this bounteous Wi-Fi. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how is it not? Like it, it's, it, that's like that's the number one gift when you look it up on uh, on just anywhere to post about it. Like it's such a funny part of the movie. It like totally makes you laugh at the beginning and it sets the tone for one portion of what this movie is going to be, but yeah, I mean, they're so grateful for, like, anything, and they're just trying to grab on anything that they can, and the dad in this is, I think he truly, like, Mr. Kim is truly the best in this film. He steals He's, the show. So, like, his descent into just complete resentment and hate yeah. by the end, that, that again, like, the other montage of him having to drive around the wife as she's getting ready for the party, and she's just calling everyone, oh, no, don't bring presents, just come enjoy our dreams, what a great rain we had last night, like, yeah. it just goes on for, like, 10 minutes and you can just see his face and he's talking to the dad outside and the, he's like yeah but we're gonna do all this because your wife really likes parties right and you really love your wife yeah and then he's like just do it because i'm paying you to do it yeah and right over time it's just like you just see him lose it uh i think right before that is my favorite line where he's talking to his son <clears throat> in the gymnasium about why you never make a plan because if you never make a plan then it can, you can never yeah, you, know, you can never fail at it, and it's like all the you know. I I wish I could have written it all down, but I was too busy reading it to try to understand what he was saying right, again. But right. if you guys watch the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and also respect, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Pop, respect. Yeah, I love that. It's a good one, uh, Harpo. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. One AMA question here by the Honorable Josh Ryan. Um, why is it that Korean directors explore intense subject matter in such an extremely visceral way compared to it seems anyway North American filmmakers? I don't think it is a, a question of they know that they're exploring visceral topics in a way that Americans don't. I just think it's like we make movies in America because that's like sort of the way movies in America have been 
taught to us. This is what we watch, so that's what we make. And I think it seems it seems like, and I don't know the history of Korean film well enough to really make this as a, as a real statement, but my, my guess is that's kind of what has been successful. Like, that has been successful, that has been interesting and innovative, that's what people want to go see, mm-hmm. so that's what Korean filmmakers have been making. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think a big part of it is, like, the conservative agenda, and not the conservatives as in, like, the the political party, but just like America in general has been very conservative in its film, right? Like the R's and the PG's go back and watch movies that were PG's or in the, uh, that was rated PG in like the seventies. Yeah. You'll see breasts in them. You really will. I remember like good guys were black with Chuck Norris. I think it's like PG. Yeah. And like, there was some really intense fighting, killing and, and like nudity in that movie. And it yeah. was PG. And my mom was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I think because uh, Koreans are also very conservative as as a people in general, um, I think they were maybe just ahead of their time. I, I honestly do. Like you, you go back and you watch. Uh, I always like to talk about old boy. You, you go and watch the two old boys, the Korean version, and the American version, and just the comparison between those two will show you exactly what Americans are okay to do and watch and see, and and what they're not. Even though it's the same story and still the kind of the same twist. Yeah, it's it's we're much more okay with one version than the other apparently yeah you know so i think i think he's just i think they're just ahead of their time and Fair like point. we're finally ready for it um there are three action movie categories totally ridiculous ridiculously legitimate and totally ridiculous totally legitimate i think i said all three i think you did this movie's clearly totally legitimate. <laughs> yeah, it just has to be totally legitimate. There, I, there's no like there's no like absurdity or like it, i mean when you when a movie wins best picture traditionally that's kind of what it is and i think this is the first one we didn't really get to have a full conversation about it today we did the sort of ranking instead but this is the first major Oscar best winner, best picture winner upset I can think of in my lifetime that doesn't feel wrong at all. Like yeah. it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel even though I actually thought I ranked 1917 ahead of it, when I think about how significant it would have been had 1917 won best picture, what would like what that, what that would have sort of meant, everything about this movie winning feels correct to me. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think that this is going to be a real true moment in history. I mean, obviously it is because of what you know what it's accomplished for being a foreign language film. But like for filmmakers moving forward, and for us as an audience, and for the Academy and what they appreciate, I think that this is just a huge moment in filmmaking history. Yeah, I mean, again, if you go back and look at some of the others, if Dances with Wolves loses to Goodfellas, you know, Dances is. Is still pretty good. Right. Like it's a good movie, Goodfellas. You know, it's better, but I don't think it's like a travesty. If you look at, you know, what happened in like Shakespeare in Love beating Saving Private Ryan, I think probably most people would agree that Saving Private Ryan should have won. I mean, mm-hmm. I definitely think so. But there are those people that just like die. Some for people Shakespeare still in love. love it. Yeah, or even people that go like, look, Saving Private Ryan is a is a great movie and probably a better movie. But I'm not angry that Shakespeare in Love won. You know, exactly. That, I don't think you'll ever hear anyone. <laughs> Except for that one guy yeah. on the internet. Uh. Even back to 2011 when the artist won Best Picture, it's like the artist was just up. It was up against a bunch of movies that didn't feel like it was up against The Help and it was up against The Descendants and it was mm-hmm. up against The Iron Lady and Moneyball. None of those movies feel like, oh, we really missed the boat, guys. I can't believe, you know, that Moneyball is not Best Picture 2011. Right. Like, I love Moneyball, love The Descendants. Those are great movies. I don't know. Like, that's not, that's not that crazy. To me, this is like truly the one where i'm just like this is correct this yes is it's correct this and, it, is... and it really needed to happen yeah really so. did anyway guys there's one last thing to talk about here on the show and that's called the pitch uh yeah it's interesting because ben is actually gonna be out of town for the next he's only gone for a week but it's he's leaving from wednesday to wednesday so he's gonna be gone for the next couple of episodes uh i've got to figure out who i want to bring on for both of those episodes maybe i'll only bring someone on for one of them and we'll take a week off uh but I'll let you guys know. Keep Make sure you're following me on Twitter at Andrew Guy and you're following the show at Team Action Show. And uh, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Team Action. You guys will be updated uh, the moment that I know what's going to happen uh, yeah. on one of those three platforms. The best thing to do, you, we mentioned our YouTube channel earlier, but uh, we have a stream on Friday and a show on Sunday. We're going to get to our shout-outs for our generals here in just one quick second. Um, but I do want to remind everybody here, if you guys live in Atlanta or the nearby area, yes. on February 29th, I'm going to be defending my Schmodown title against the greatest of all time, Mr. Dan Merle, uh, theschmodownlive.com. If you've ever wanted to see one of these live, if you've never met us before, it's going to be an unbelievable show. Go get your tickets. There's only a few left. I think there's like 45 tickets left total for the whole event. So uh, it, it's, I'm really excited about it, and it's a, it's a great thing to do. So go check it out. Go to theschmodownlive.com. 
Big shout out to our generals in the Action Army. Yeah, big big shout out to the generals. Uh, I'm going to start out with uh, Alex and Lucas Shashek. Yeah, but they're not generals anymore. No, they are. I mean, I feel like we got to stand. Yeah, I know it's weird, but I think we got to do it because even though it's probably in a good frame, but this is where we're at. This is what you do to your commander in chief. Salute. Just our waist. Just our crotches. All they're seeing is our crotches. Lean down. Lean down. Lean down. Here we go. Big time salute. Big time salute. To the Commander-in-Chief, to the Shasheks. Uh, after that, we have our five-star generals. We have Mac Ryan, John Getz, Jake Yacoveta, and Paul Denuzio, and the generals in the Action Army. It's a big salute to Andrew Hayes, John Patterson, Kelsey Kirkland, Carl Newell, Jeremiah Morris, Cody Seal, A.J. Lancaster, Sari Lamanmaki, Oscar Romo, Danny Joyce, Eric Ritz, Luke Haynes, Michael Dean, Deacon, Liam Gilpin, and AJ Lancaster, just for good measure. And AJ Lancaster, just for good measure. And again, a big, big, big time salute to Lucas and Alex, commanders in chief. Thank you once again for your incredible, incredible patronage. Guys, thank you so much for your time. I'll see you very soon. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.